Welcome back to Your Ag Empire, where we roll up our sleeves, dig in the dirt, and uncover the secret to success in the world of agriculture. I'm your host, Jonathan Harrelson, a Texas farmer and rancher, farm risk consultant, and commodity coach. New episodes drop on Wednesdays on Spotify, Apple, and YouTube, and we'd be honored to have you as a subscriber. Today, we are honored to host Will Clay, a seasoned senior IoT solutions architect from Perkins, Oklahoma. With a decade of experience, Will's expertise in designing tailor-made IoT hardware for the utility industry is unparalleled. In this episode, Will and I explore the transformative impact of IoT solutions in agriculture. We discuss upcoming projects, unexpected applications in farming, and how IoT contributes to improving animal welfare. Brace yourselves for a fascinating glimpse into Will's groundbreaking project, the creation of a turbine tractor. Stay tuned for a concise yet insightful conversation on the practical advancements that IoT brings to agriculture. This is your Ag Empire, where innovation meets the fields. Joining us on your Ag Empire is Will Clay. Welcome to the show, Will. To a lot of people, I mean, mainly on TikTok, you're the guy behind the mini pivot uh, and a lot of other viral content. I mean, who are you in real life? So in real life, I am a uh, senior IoT solutions architect with an, uh, an innovative energy management company based out of uh, McKinney, Texas. But I spend my time outside of work tinkering with electronics and I spend my real time tinkering with electronics. Awesome. That uh, IoT, that's kind of an interesting... What exactly is IoT? Can you give us... Uh, some kind of a description? Yeah, so IoT is Internet of Things. It's uh, anything that can be connected wirelessly or wired to to the Internet, essentially. So, so your thermostats in your house is a form of IoT. Uh, a sensor that you might put in the driveway to let somebody know that there's somebody coming up your driveway, that's a form of IoT. So it's just uh, it's putting a real-world information reporting device on something that typically would not have it to make your life easier. Gotcha. Okay. So, I mean, this is, it's just come natural. We were talking earlier and uh, our, our podcast producer, Brooke, we were talking about some videos and she showed me this and lo and behold, it ended up being you, the man behind the camera. And so I, I, I thought it was kind of interesting that we had that connection there. And uh, IoT, it sounds like a really technical type and looking at your videos and seeing and realizing what you do in real life it all kind of makes sense now um but uh have you always been a tinkerer i have i have uh as long as i can remember in fact i remember uh specifically we were uh i don't know how how old i was um but i remember I i would always take stuff apart so i remember we got a new microwave one time and I wanted to take apart this microwave and, and see what all was in it or see if there's anything in there that I could use to play with for building <laughs> something else at the time. And I remember we were uh, we were traveling to Indiana and we were flying. And I think this was around 2002 or 2003. Um, so it was still a sensitive time for um, security at the airport. 
And I had like all of the electronic parts from the microwave in my backpack that I had packed to take with me and was trying to take all that stuff through security. And uh, so that's, that's when my mom found out uh, <laughs> that that they were pretty sensitive about that stuff at the time. But no, it's it's been forever back. I mean, I, I've just always been involved with it in some way. And it, yeah. and it never like, I'm not sure where it started because I wouldn't say like it started with anybody directly. Um, it just kind of... Yeah, it just kind of happened. I was just interested in the way things worked. That's kind of neat. My brother is a lot like you. And even as an adult near 40 years old, he still is a tinker. We kind of laugh about him slipping off into the shop and, you know, he's always creating something. And uh, so it's been it's been really fun to kind of watch that uh, evolve uh, over the years. And it, it kind of makes sense with his job, too. Um but we're going to tie this back, you know, with, with Empire Ag. I mean, we kind of focus on farming and ranching. And I know you've got a uh, farming and ranching background. And so a lot of our listeners, they may be wondering, how in the world would IoT fit back into agriculture? Can you share some examples of how IoT solutions have been applied in the ag sector to enhance efficiency or, you know, address any specific challenges for farmers and ranchers? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I'd say the biggest thing is just time efficiency. So things that that you have to do every day or every other day that takes time out of your day that could be automated. Um, one of those things would be feed bin, like like creep feeder monitoring. So if you had a creep feeder that you deployed out in the field once a week, w- once every three days or whatever, it, it might it just depends on your operation that you might have to go out and check the level of the feed in that. And then determine like if you store feed on site, do you need to do you need to take feedback out there, fill up feeder back up, or do you order it when you need it? Um, and if you order it, what's the lead time look like? So one of the things that that I've done is we have sensors that can go on these creep feeders um, and monitor the level of feed inside of that feeder, and then we can look at the usage rate over time and see mm-hmm. okay, so we're using. of the capacity every day. We're at 20%. So we have roughly four days remaining to to zero. Um, Let's go ahead and reorder or whatever that looks like. And so those are some of the sensors that I've, I've deployed. That's cool. How do you see IOT technologies contributing to sustainable uh, in precision farming practices? Yeah. So uh, in precision farming, uh, weather stations and irrigation monitoring is one of the one of the biggest things um so there's a lot of systems out there um and there's a lot of irrigation companies who support this equipment right now valley i believe has has some equipment that works with the irrigation units in, and precision farming uh, i think the biggest thing is just soil moisture um, in irrigation applications so in a real time adjusting uh the drive rate of your irrigation unit based off of what the unit is putting down and what the soil moisture is like in the in the conditions that it's running so if you're a little if you're already pretty wet in the soil in a certain area speed to pivot up to get past that into a drier area and then slow it back down to increase your rate so there's things like that and, and a lot of these devices are all battery powered and wireless devices that you could just deploy in the field and they'll um i mean they'll sit out there and run for for weeks or months or even years at a time so, I mean, this this is going to help, you know, make data, you know, data driven decisions, um, you know, to kind of optimize the time. I mean, for us to go drive around and look at every farm, you know, right mm-hmm. then and there, it's just it's so time consuming. 
Uh, yeah. We can make that decision right then and there. Uh, Absolutely. That is, that is, that is really, it's, this is some good stuff for uh, a lot of our listeners. You've got kids that are looking for, um, you know, tech type careers and, and things that you can kind of do. I mean, it seems like there's the sky's the limit on this thing. Yeah. In fact, one of the the biggest um, devices that I, that's been very successful um, and it, and it really hasn't existed um, up until recently. I've been, I've been toying with, with this device since, 2015 um, mm-hmm. and I've made several different iterations and versions of it. Now there's commercial versions of it out there um, just because I wasn't necessarily about trying to build a product and deploy to tens of thousands of people. I was trying to build a product that we could use internally in our own operations. Sure. Um, and that's, it's, it's automatic water and stock tank monitoring. Uh, so we have stock tanks that are in the middle of fields that are several mm-hmm. miles away from, from the house. And these, these tanks are filled up, um, whether it be by windmill or typically solar nowadays. So solar well pumps. Mm-hmm. And if that solar well pump goes down, you know, you have to drive out there and look at that tank, you know, every, every day or every other day, depending on the size of the tank and, and how many head you have on that tank. Uh, so one of the things that I did is developed a device. It's a little cellular device that clips on the side of the tank and monitors the water level of the tank. Mm-hmm. And let you know if that water level drops below a certain threshold or what that might be and then that kind of evolved into the automatic waterer world so an automatic waterer has this whole own set of issues that you have to deal with sure. um, especially so if you're if you're trying to water a hundred head off of a couple of automatic waterers you know an automatic water is not like a stock tank where it can store several hundred gallons as a reservoir it only holds maybe 10 or 15 or 20 gallons of water in it and so Mm -hmm. if if the float valve breaks or your water supply gets cut off somehow you know there's there's no reserve like that Mm -hmm. that water's gone basically immediately and then you know you might go all day or maybe two days before you go out and physically check that water and realize that your cows haven't had water and how long have they not had water sure so monitoring those have have been uh, i think the bigger impact that and freezing um, monitoring whether or not those devices are froze so i monitor that as well with a temperature sensor so we can detect icing or if it's geothermally heated um, mm-hmm. you can see that typically you don't have an issue with those uh, but if you have an electronically heated um, did your power did a breaker trip somewhere that might be feeding the heater in that water mm-hmm. and if it did you, you might like to know about that. So that, that's pretty, that's pretty neat. I, I mean, that's a great application. I know we down here in Texas, we just went through a drought this summer and, you know, we were having to move cattle around just same situation. We'd run out of water at this place. And so, you know, you'd be out there, uh, you might not go to that place the next day and, you know, it might be two days before you get back over there. And then all of a sudden you look back and there's no water yeah. and, uh, that would be huge for us. I know, uh, technology. It's crazy. What's, what's kind of coming. So let's, let's move into the innovation side of things. So as a resident tinker and creative mind, can you share a project or an idea that you've, you've worked on, which showcases innovative thinking, uh, in the context of agriculture or IOT, uh, anything that's, that's, you know, kind of up and coming new outside of what we just talked about. Yep. So, uh, I've, Recently, been getting involved with uh, more of the the solar water pump operation, mm-hmm. 
Um, so I've, I've, I've got a line of pumps that I'm, that I'm working on right now that, uh, they're solar water pumps that you can deploy in the field. There's several other companies out there, but none of them offer any sort of reporting. So sure. you can go buy these pumps and deploy them. And if you don't go check on that thing every day, like you don't know if there's an issue. In fact, I've, I can't tell you how many times I've been called to go work on other pumps for mm -hmm. other people. Um, for issues that they can't resolve and usually their support just tells them take it pull it out of the well and send it to us and we'll send you a new one later like that's not that's not really an option in a, in a lot of cases when that's your water source for your livestock we've got this this new pump module um, that is has built in iot into it and reports back all the information about this pump device so um, the solar information the how many minutes has it ran that day uh what's the level of the water tank is it frozen like can we predict ice if there is ice and we're using a float mm -hmm. um, to detect it so that's that's a whole another issue is the up north where or anywhere you have to deal with icing is like how does a float function in a stock tank when there's ice because it doesn't um so what we're we're, we're playing with a few different ideas there but breaking ice just it's not fun in general. So what I've uh, what we've done actually with this device is we'll detect when the sun comes up. There's no batteries, first of all. So this thing, like it's not storing information in any way by batteries. When the sun comes up, it reads the temperature of the water and the level of the water. As soon as it gets enough power to do that, if it detects that the water level we we think is full, mm -hmm. but the temperature is frozen, so we can assume there's a there's an ice skim across the top of that tank. We don't know if somebody busted a hole in it if they've if the cows have reached your head through there and drank out the bottom and now there's a shelf of ice mm -hmm. that that is tricking the the well into thinking it's full. So if it's frozen and we and the sensor thinks there might be ice present, it'll go ahead and and run the pump for 10 minutes, even though it knows the tank is likely full. And it's going to be pumping that you know 60 degree groundwater back onto the top of the tank to melt a hole in the ice thaw out the sensors and then like there's no having to deal with breaking ice uh, you know it's it's the, the nice warm water is, is just burning a hole in the ice for you so so that's uh that's something that we're working on right now quite a bit uh, i know a couple of my producers up in in uh, north dakota would like something like that <laughs> yeah yeah it's a it's a it's a great deal i mean there's there's so many people that are converting to to solar wells nowadays mm -hmm. i mean there's there's mm -hmm. a lot of windmills they're still using the structure to mount a couple solar panels too but sure. they're they're basically maintenance free i mean there's a, a once every three years you might have to change out the little worm screw which these pumps are field serviceable which is great mm -hmm. so you can take the parts out with you and with literally just an allen wrench and a phillips screwdriver you can overhaul this pump and then stick it back down in the well and and be done in an hour. So, you you know, honestly, we on our our ranch uh, in North Texas, we've had we've had a solar pump, I think, coming on nearly twenty two years, give or take. Yep. Uh, the first one uh, lasted uh, sixteen or eighteen years. Dad just changed it out, maybe a year or two ago. Uh, whenever he changed that one out, but but definitely. Uh, it was it was really trouble free for us. I think it's huge, especially in these vast, really underdeveloped areas in in uh, the central plains where most of our livestock are running. Um, we're not sitting with all this big infrastructure to run power to. Exactly, and then power is not cheap to run anymore. I mean, it mm -mm. 
you know, it's, it's expensive. It's huge. I think that's a great, great innovation. So in your experience, I mean, how do, you know, farmers and ranchers typically respond to or adopt these new te- technologies? Um, and I mean, what factors contribute to the successful integration of some of this stuff? Yeah. So I've worked with people on both ends of the spectrum um, mm-hmm. in the ag space. So uh, there's people out there that I've worked with that don't even have a smartphone, but they just want to get a text message when there's an issue and that's perfect for them. And that works great. It it depends around your lifestyle and your operations. Mm -hmm. You know, there's people that are still drive 1960s models equipment and that's, that's great. That's, that's what you do. That's awesome. And then there's people who only own equipment that's no more than three years old. And you just have to, to find that, that spot, but that's the advantage with the, uh, a lot of this equipment is it doesn't have to be the latest and greatest thing. It's just mm-hmm. as long as it provides the information that you need and does what you want it to do. I've uh, we've done some uh, freezer monitoring for a lot of uh, people monitoring their deep freezes for uh, meat storage. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's that's something and then detecting if their uh, their freezer unit has gone down. That way they can go out and work on that. And that's just a text message based system. I mean, there's an app that you can log into and, and see some chart and information. But other than that, they just get a text message if if their temperature goes above a certain threshold. And in other applications, you know, you might do uh, advanced reporting and potentially pre-order uh, like feed for you, like I was mentioning earlier. This is, hey, uh, you're getting low on this particular product we can go ahead and set up and send an email to a specific supplier um, mm-hmm. to reorder that for you. Um, there's, there's a bunch of different things out there that can be done and it can all be customized most of the time and in, in, in whatever way you want. Do, do you see, uh, I mean, is age wise, the adoption of some of this stuff, do you feel like, like the, the 65 to 75 year old rancher, you know, in central Oklahoma, are they going to, are they going to adopt this readily or, or have you seen kind of a little pushback? Like, I don't, I've actually had better success so far with the older generation, to to be honest. It's, it's pretty surprising. So it's not that the younger guys aren't into it because they are hundred percent. They're, but it doesn't take much to, once you can show that efficiency Uh to them and that it's not extremely complicated because a lot of those guys come in thinking that it's, you know, this stuff's way over their head. It's way too complicated. Sure. It's, it's not like there are things about it. Yes. That can be complicated, but it shouldn't be. And that's, mm-hmm. that's my goal. Whenever I'm working on a lot of this stuff is to make it as simple as possible. Like get rid of, th- of these steps. If it can just make this one step better or something. Absolutely. So there's a lot of things there, but yeah, I mean, we just installed a, a well pump to a, a rancher in North Oklahoma and He's up there and he loves it. He's all over it. He's all of his neighbors are stopping by and asking about them and, and wanting them now. So it's, it's a great deal. Cool. Well, let's, uh, let's shift gears into the out of the box thinking. How can creative thinking and out of the box solutions address common challenges faced by farmers and ranchers? And, you know, especially in a rapidly evolving technological landscape. I mean, we've talked a little bit about ranching. Uh, do you see anything for like the row crop producers that's kind of coming down the, you know, down the pike that that they might be able to benefit from? 
Yeah, there is. Um, and that, that's, that kind of falls back a little bit, I think, on that irrigation stuff that we talked about in weather stations. Uh-huh. So installing weather stations in your fields and knowing the exact parameters of, of that field that you're about to work in. Same thing with uh, pesticide application. Uh, weather stations provide a lot of wind data, which can help you determine, like, as the day goes on, um, do you change? Maybe you go over to this area and spray it first because the wind conditions are better, or what does that look like? But a lot of it is irrigation. I mean, the majority of it is is irrigation, irrigation for any type of, of farming. That's the biggest thing you can do. Um, a lot of the equipment nowadays, you know, they've got so much smart precision equipment built into them. I mean, there's sprayers now that will not spray unless they see a weed and they'll just spray this, that weed that they see. Sure. And there's some advanced stuff. And then a lot of that data can be exported um, as well. So I'll give you an example, actually. Um, and, and I'd say this is pretty out of box because this was before a lot of the drone stuff existed. Mm-hmm. Uh, see, I did this stuff back in 2010. And so we, we, uh, we deal with red ants a lot where we're mm-hmm. at. And whether it's pasture or it's crop ground, I mean, just, you're going to deal with these things and they're, they're everywhere, at least here and where we're at in Oklahoma. And so these red ants, they would consume, you know, a good probably 10, 15 foot uh, radius circle around their hill. I mean, it's just bare dirt. So what I would do is I would fly a, a drone and over this property with an NDVI camera, which is just it's a multi-spectral camera that's showing vegetation growth and it would show up. We do a map like an ortho map. So this drone flies itself. You just set it up and tell it to, here's the grid that I want you to fly in. And it goes and builds out this ortho map mm-hmm. and then it exports that as an image. And then, so I wrote a Python script that would run on my computer that would take that image. It would scan across this image, every line, line by line, pixel by pixel. And it would look for these circles um, crop circles, I would say there's, there's nothing there. It's just bare circles. Mm-hmm. It would look for these circles. Every time it would find one, it would place a waypoint right in the center of that circle. And then it it just move on all the way down through until it was done with that image. And there might be 10 circles in it. There might be a hundred circles in it just depended on how many of these anthills are where it would spit it back and with an O with all those waypoints overlaid on top of that image. So I could look at it and visually see, okay, this really is just, this was a piece of equipment sitting there. So it's not really that one's not, a circle. Yeah. So ignore that or ignore this one or this one. It just skipped this one, but I can visually see it. So I'll click that. So then now I've got waypoints of where all of these uh, circles are. And then I would load these into the drone and do a mission plan. And I, at the time, I didn't have my like uh, um, aerial applicators license. So I'm trying to figure out like, how can I spray these with a drone without getting in trouble? So like, I'm looking for things like you can drop on an anthill and kill ants, but it's not considered a pesticide and aspartame, which is an artificial sweetener is the best thing to come up with. And it's like, it kills ants pretty good. Um, so, so I built this hopper that hangs on the bottom of a drone and bought like a 10 pound bag of aspartame. Um, this artificial, basically sweet and low is what it is. Sure. And, uh, this drone would take off. It would fly over every one of these spots and it would dispense about a cup of aspartame on each one of these anthills. And so I repeated that for a couple of weeks and it eliminated every single one of those anthills doing that. Wow. And now there's equipment out there that you can buy off the shelf that does the same stuff. Sure. Sure. 
but yeah. Wow. What advice uh, do you have for individuals that, you know, are in the ag industry, but they're looking to embrace, you know, more innovative and creative mindsets uh, in their operation? Like, is there, I mean, is there a community where IoT and agriculture meet where they could find out more about things that are coming? Uh, how do how do you know what all all the stuff that's evolving technology wise? Um, the biggest way to stay on top of that, in my opinion, is well, one, I just join, I just find Facebook groups, um, and most of the time, though, there's nothing that's specific ag and IoT. Yep. But the biggest advantage I and I go every year is is to farm shows. So mm-hmm. the best farm show that I have found that that really shows you this is the National Farm Machinery Show in Louisville, Kentucky. And it's an amazing show to go to. And you'll see all kinds of the latest technology. There's there's drone equipment there. There's all kinds of precision farming equipment there. Uh, it's there's weather stations, all the, there's a lot of different IoT moving into that. I've gone every year since 2008 or so. And here recently, it's getting better and better. And it's always cutting edge stuff. So it's not like a lot of the farm shows you go to around here that that is just dealerships that's there to sell their equipment. That, don't get me wrong, that's, that's what they're doing here. It's all just people trying to sell equipment. But it's it's not just dealerships, like it's technology companies that are attending. They're showcasing the new and upcoming stuff. That's the best way to stay on top of it, for sure. Do you think like if somebody's wanting to invest, uh, you know, in, in any of these companies, are they, I mean, are they larger companies that are non ag focused or that, that have kind of branched into the ag based, uh, sector, or are we, are we looking at, uh, some companies that are, that are straight ag from day one, um, that they could kind of look into? Yeah. So there's, there's both. I think that, and you have to, you have to that's a hard decision because you've got the companies who have the people and the 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 mindset of a tech company who mm-hmm. are trying to work in a ag space and sure. like what information and what what do they what knowledge do they have of the ag space you know it, it all depends on who do they hire and what what information do they have internally to make sure that they're not just building a product that they think is going to work in the ag space and it's completely not feasible. And then you've got the other way around where you have these old ag companies who have been around for sometimes 50 to hundred years. And, and now they're trying to integrate IOT into, um, and, these, and the smart equipment into, the, into their products or their ag space. Yep. And I've seen some examples of that, that are terrible, like that you guys just need to step back and do what you were doing because you're not doing a very good job at it. Um, yeah. And it, and and a lot of times that ruins the experience too, because you'll, you'll go in, uh, I'm not going to call any brands out, but you'll go to, to a this specific brand who makes a fence charger, for example. Mm-hmm. And they're like, well, now we have this remote reporting of a, on our fence charger that will tell you every time there's a short on your fence or something. And the intuitiveness of the app and getting it connected to the internet is terrible. Like I, I'm pretty well technologically like capable of doing that stuff. And it was a, a, an awful process. And I could imagine somebody who's not very like in, in tune with that, having a, a really hard time. And that just kind of, they're like, screw this. We, we don't, 
We're yeah, not, we don't want exactly. to go that. Just give me the old simple one and we'll go down. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly what happens. And then it makes that product look bad. And then it starts to make that, that company look bad. And absolutely. And that, so that it's, it's a hard thing to, to, to deal with. I mean, having a company who was born in ag and having technology is hard to do, but sure. there's big companies obviously that can swing that like John Deere, for example. I mean, you know, they've, they've yeah. been in, in the space forever and, but they've also been doing technology in other areas for a long time. So they've got the people internally that, and they're just a massive company and they got a lot of resources, but a lot of these smaller companies that, that they might try to outsource the technology part of it to a mm -hmm. firm and there's not good communication between the, the two companies and it's just makes for a really poor product experience. I, you know, and you look back like companies like John Deere, I mean, they've got the capital to, you know, to invest what they need to, and they've got that internal communication where they truly know what they're trying to achieve. I could totally see that the synergies between two separate companies that are trying to achieve a goal, like whoever's the visionary in that sometimes can, can not properly get that across. And uh, exactly. it's just, it's hard, hard to, to work together on some of those projects like that. I could see that being a, being it is, tough. It is, yeah. there's, there's been several examples like that. And there's been some great examples from companies that are like located in Southern California. And you can mm -hmm. tell that like just doing my research that these guys have never been in the ag space before, but they've done a really good job at their research and have figured it out. But there's some crucial steps that they miss. Um, sure. that, 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 they, that a person who would have been involved in agriculture, like, you're providing me with this data point, but I don't care about that data point. That data point does, means nothing to me. And you're, you're just making things confusing by providing data that doesn't exist, but yeah, it's finding that mix, that, that good mix. Um, and, and it all comes down to the company and who they hire. I think, I mean, they, they can hire the greatest engineers in the world, but they also need to have the guy who's been in the field working on this stuff, his whole life telling him this makes sense. This doesn't make sense. Sure. Absolutely. It feels like a good time to hear from our sponsor uh, who's making this podcast possible. From investigative bookkeeping, like tracking down that one or 19 transactions that just doesn't make sense, to establishing charts of account that work for your business, to reconciliations, the pharmacist team believes good business begins with accurate and complete financials. They roll up their sleeves and dig into your financials so that your business grows and thrives. You can harvest the profits of your hard work with a clear picture of your operation's financial position. To learn more about Pharmacist, visit youragempire.com. Integration of IoT and agriculture. Can you discuss the potential impact of IoT on livestock management? Uh, and how it can improve animal welfare. Uh, we've talked about, you know, with with watering and, and some of that in our, our first segment, but, uh, you know, like, is there anything out there right now as far as animal welfare goes? Um, yep, there, there is. There's a, so there's a few things that I've worked with. There's companies out there who I've helped actually get some of this stuff going. Um, so... There's a few different devices here I'll talk about. So one of them is uh, is just animal tracking. 
in mm-hmm. general. So every time you run a cow through the chute, so the old way of doing things and still the current way of doing things is reading an ear tag number and writing it down on a spreadsheet or whatever it is that you might be doing to it. Mm-hmm. So RFID ear tags are very common. Um, they're required on a lot of registered animals now, but but anybody can can use an RFID ear tag. You can buy these things off the shelf now. Um, and there's readers and there's software out there who will help manage and take care of tracking all that stuff for you. So for example, there's a company that I was working with who's has these readers that will install in, in your alleyway, um, in your, in your shoot. Mm-hmm. And so if you have a scale set up before your shoot, or if it's in your shoot or depending on your configuration, you can set it up. But so as your cow walks through and is staged in the scale, there's a reader right there that will read the ear tag of that cow and then go ahead and save that weight to that cow's file without you having to do anything. Gotcha. That cow moves up into the chute. You're, you're doing your work to it. You're whatever it is you might be doing vaccinations or whatever. Um, it's being logged everything that you're doing to it, to that particular cow's number. So there's no mishap of accidentally writing down the wrong number or, or thinking in your head, like, I'll just do these five cows. I'll remember the numbers and I'll go write them down. And then you always forget which one of those numbers that might've been, or you're always thinking in the back of your head, did that cow go through there or, or did I skip it or what happened? It's all digitally logged um, in real time without you having to do anything. So that's, that's one of, uh, one of the things. The other two things are more of a direct on animal type sensor. One of them is actually in animal. Um, it's a bolus. It's a, uh, it's a basically a Bluetooth BLE bolus mm-hmm. and these Bluetooth devices, it's, it's a common thing that's used in a lot of IOT nowadays. Um, air tag, it's it basically think of it like an air tag. So an air okay. tag, um, is a Bluetooth device with a little battery in it. Um, it's a very Bluetooth, low energy, specifically BLE. This, this old bolus has a BLE chip in it. It has a battery and it has a thermistor and a couple other little, little sensors. So you feed this cow, this bolus, it's just a, a large pill and it goes and settles into one of their stomachs and it's reporting back temperature and these guys have been able to figure out the temperature uh, that a a cow like you can detect ovulation um, what their cycles are all based off of just internal body temperatures and so this bolus sits down there it's collecting this data and then every time they put the reader typically um, by like the stock tank or an automatic water somewhere that that cow goes often Mm -hmm. to be detected and that cow walks over there, that information, it's close enough to that reader that's offloaded. And then now you can look at that and say, okay, here's the particular date and cycle that this cow is on um, and see that information. Wow. So that's, that's pretty cool. Yeah. I've seen, I've seen some, uh, just some grumblings about it. I haven't seen any widespread usage yet, uh, you know, on any of the ranches that I work with, but uh, it's been a, it's been kind of neat to think about that because I mean, you know, AI, uh, ET, when you're sitting here setting cows up and you know, you want those percentages as high, you want the best shot you can to get that cow pregnant. And, and yeah, and there's another device I'm working on right now. I've been tinkering with a little bit. It's been done in the past. There's patents on it and those patents have expired. I don't know why, if the technology just wasn't there at the time, because it's been quite a while ago. I know the technology is there now because I've looked at this in depth and I know I can do it. 
Yeah. Uh, but there's another device out there that I'm working on right now, which I, I won't say too much about, but um, it'll make tracking that stuff easy and, Good. and and very reusable. So those boluses obviously are single use. Um, this is a device that's reusable. So, and I'm pretty excited about that. Uh, so, yeah, and it'll work the same way as uh, as the other one pretty much. So my range will be quite higher. Um, so uh -huh. you could actually, I could pick, I could read these devices from line of sight a, a mile away. Oh, wow. So you just put one antenna up near your barn or wherever it might be. You could even put this antenna mobily on your truck. So whenever you go out to these pastures to feed, um, you're Start picking it up. Yeah. But, and then I have, there's solar versions of the sensor too, um, of, of the, of the reader, but, and then the other last, um, I think device or sensor um, that kind of fits this category is it goes back on the RFID side of things and the automatic water side of things. Mm -hmm. So the automatic water sensor that we have, uh, it can support other peripheral inputs like a flow sensor um, to, to monitor how much flow is going in, but it can also support an RFID reader as well. Sure. So these, we can, you can install an RFID reader at a, at an automatic water. And if that's their only source of water, and you know I have these 30 cows that are in this pasture and this is the only place they can get water, then let's start tracking every time they get water. Mm -hmm. And if you see, hey, cow 22 hasn't been up here and, you know, it hasn't been up here in 12 hours or, or 14 hours or whatever might be alarming that's out of that cow's nature. And so what it'll do is it'll track, hey, how often this cow comes up? And you can kind of get a trend line of that cow's activity at that water. And then if you see a deviance from that trend line, like it hasn't shown up, it's been four extra hours, like send a notification going on. that something's going on. That cow is not doing what it typically does. And then you could go check on it and it, you know, whether it's stuck or, or hurt or laying down and sick, you never know. Like, but yeah, that's one of the things too. That's crazy. Do, do you find it? So for you, I mean, you, you've got a mind for this kind of stuff. Like this is, I mean, obviously like you follow you on social media, look at everything that you've kind of done. Like this is you. Do you find it hard to shift like some of your creations into the business side of things, like to where you could scale and, you know, I mean, Will Clay's got lots of good ideas. Uh, yeah. Can, can we make Will Clay rich, you know? Yeah. So I've, I've had people come at me trying, wanting to take these things to market and there's, I want to, but it's just like, I live a very busy life uh, sure. for me to, 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 to take those things to market. So there's some people that I'm working with right now um, that, that are, are taking care of a lot of the, that stuff for me. Uh, yep. So there's, there's, there's a, a group of people that I'm working with. that's actually helping with that. And, and we're, things are looking really good that, in that direction. So there's that's some what I was curious if yeah. it's, you know, it seems like uh, a lot of folks that are um, kind of their strength is in that creativity side of it that, you know, to bridge that gap into the business and scalability. And a lot of yeah. times they, they suffer from that because I mean, honestly, like what they enjoy is creating this new technology, working on it and yeah. It, making it better. I mean, that that's what your passion is. It's not selling yeah. anything really. Building it, um, the engineering, the testing. I, I love that part. That's my favorite part. Sure. I don't love 
the paperwork tied behind making <laughs> something like legal, uh, dealing with selling it, dealing with procuring it, like assembly and, and production, like mm -hmm. I can get into that space, but that's a full-time job by itself. Oh yeah. Ordering um, and just keeping people lined up to make sure things are being in the right place at the right time. Mm -hmm. And that, cause so there's like, there's parts that I've had typically everything I've built in house. Um, but there's like some little like circuit boards and things like that, that are very intricate and require a machine to like place the components on the circuit boards. And in the U S it's a very expensive, I can get it done in China typically much cheaper, but I try, I try to do as much as I can obviously in the U S but they'll charge you an arm and a leg. If like you send them the job and there's a certain component that they're supposed to have, that's not there on time. And then, so they'll charge you multiple setup fees or something. So mm -hmm. making sure everything, everybody's schedules line up is hard. And then just, just logistics in general. Um, cause sure. that's one of the other things. Logistics is a, is a killer. I mean, you can, you can come up with a device and say, here's a device. I think I'm going to sell this for $110 cause it only cost me $40 to make or something. Mm -hmm. But then like who pays shipping and you're paying shipping several times. It's not just once. It's not right. when it leaves the warehouse and goes to the end consumer, like all the components you're paying to get shipped to you. Mm -hmm. uh, then you're paying to get things shipped maybe from one factory to another to get assembled or something. And like, it's, there's a there's a bunch of numbers in there that you never think about that 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 and that's why a lot of things cost so much it's just it's sure. shipping shipping and and certifications are the killer right there yeah that's one of the reasons some of the some of the best best inventions ever never make it to market you know the idea was wonderful but uh they get bogged down into this this aspect of it and they never we never get to see it you know yeah yeah i've i've come up with a, some really great things that I, I know would do awesome, mm -hmm. but it's just out of price range too. Like, sure. I know I could build it for this. Even if I don't make a profit off of it, it's just, nobody's going to buy it because it's too expensive, but sure. And, and that's just waiting on technology to change and the, the things to come down. And it's, it's still kind of a hard time. Electronics was terrible. Um, do do, do you COVID. see that? Like where you'll, kind of have an idea you create something but you're kind of ahead of the market basically like you yeah. know 10 years later you're like oh this is so much easier now it is and and i'll forget about it and i'll go to a farm <laughs> show and i'll literally see it exactly what i made 10 years ago <laughs> on the shelf somewhere and i'm like dang it i really that's the other thing like i wish i just had a million dollars to spend on patent attorneys because sure a lot of patents but i don't want to spend the money to patent on things it, exactly. and i'm also not out there to to just own things like i'm i've i give away a lot of stuff too like i've i've given away so many ideas and i do it because i want things to move forward i want things to yeah. advance um yeah like there's there's companies that i i've i've been helping do like build a product for example there's there's some there's some other companies out there that i've worked with to help them build their product and uh -huh. i've given them some very great like designs that sure. that just made their product 10 times better yeah you know like i was just paid hourly for that work but mm -hmm. you know that was a 
it was a really amazing design and and you know they went and patented it and that's fine because i was perfectly fine with that but um like there's that, that's just a hard one um to, to to be in but well what our what our listeners uh are probably not aware of uh i mean you you do have an ag background um i mean you you grew up uh farming and ranching and uh that's a, another passion that you have tell us about clay ranch yeah so uh clay ranch is my uh dad bobby clay and, and christine clay they uh run that full time so they do a lot of i couldn't tell you what all they do out there now every time i go out there it's they've they've got something going on with the animals so mm-hmm. um it's a ai operation and and uh so they do egg egg collection from cattle they'll do embryo transplants a lot of donor and recip um, operations so there could vary between uh, you never know there's there there might be 200 cows on the place or there might be 500 cows or 600 cows on the place and sure. stuff just changes and fluctuates every day i spend my time there ever since i was little trying to find ways to optimize things even if they made it worse uh-huh. and i thought it made it better those are things you just learned through. Um, so, cause I can, I know there's times back, you know, probably when I was in middle school that I thought I was building this really great device and I wanted everybody to use it cause it'd make life better. And it really just made life way worse. But what are some of those innovations that, uh, I mean, we talked about the waters, but in the kind of the feed, is there anything that you've kind of got in the, like in the pipeline, I guess. Mm-hmm. and it it runs a lot of stuff you know it runs lighting it's running uh thermostats for waste oil heaters uh it's it's tracking the the levels of oil in the tanks uh, it, it's tracking, it's actually connected to all of our cameras and is tracking like, uh, activity. So if there's certain activity in some areas, it, it might turn a light on. There's so much that's happening behind the scenes that people actually don't see that, that it's doing. Um, so we've, we just recently installed a bunch of lights down this alleyway and these lights are pretty far apart. Um, and they're powered from a different power source than this building is our cattle barn. But if you go up and you flip the light switch for the uh, uh, lean-to lights to turn on the lights on the outside on lean-to, it turns on all these lights down this alleyway, which are not even connected to the building in any way, but it's doing that wirelessly. Um, so it's, de- it's detecting the state of the light switch in the barn and then reflecting that state on the other lights out there in the alleyway. That's cool. And then, so between that and just, uh, um, I'm doing like, uh, we try to track everything, uh, as, as much as we can out there, whether it be on camera or paper or whatever, that things are being tracked because we have other people's animals there and we want to make sure that they're being taken care of. Everything's being tracked. Sure. So, um, like I have some license plate recognition stuff that's running on, uh, uh, some of the cameras. So a vehicle backs into the loading dock or something like license plate numbers are being recorded into a database especially i mean if you've got uh you've got high dollar cattle there you know you're flushing for embryos and 
doing some ET stuff, it'd be really easy for somebody to slip up there and pick up a hundred thousand dollar donor, you yeah. know, or or just accidentally um, think they're loading their animal and it's somebody else's animal. Like we are very particular about tracking that stuff, and sure, and that's why everything is is there and it's on camera. Yep, that's awesome. Um, so yeah, we do that uh, and freezer monitoring. So we have a lot of deep freezes. That was actually exactly that's where I started was freezer monitoring. Um, we have lots of deep freezes. Uh, mm-hmm. Obviously, we store a lot of beef. Um, so every one of those deep freezes gets temperature monitored. The refrigerators temperature monitored. All those automatic waters are tied into Home Assistant. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're monitoring system water pressure. I don't even know how many miles of underground water and electric line we have on that place, but it's it's everywhere. You probably can't stick a shovel in the ground and not hit a water line or a power line somewhere. That's so, crazy monitoring that stuff um and knowing if there's a leak uh so i've got pressure uh i'm monitoring pressure in several different places in our water system and can look for pressure drops and potentially see leaks and stuff that way our shop is uh heated off of waste oil mm-hmm. uh, so it used engine oil it keeps that shop 60 degrees 68 degrees actually uh all went wrong like it could be 10 degrees outside and it's 68 in the shop and it's not even that well of an insulated shop, but it does a really good job. Mm-hmm. And one of the biggest uh, things that I've done to that to improve efficiency. So like that's an off the shelf waste oil heater that you can go buy. Mm-hmm. And what obviously, you know, heat rises, this is a tall shop, you know, it's an equipment building. I installed a fan like in the attic and I wanted to run this fan to blow that hot air back down to where we were. Um, so we could, you know, benefit from that wasted heat up there. And then you run that fan for a long time and then now you start cooling the shop down. Um, so once you start getting this air moving around in there. Mm -hmm. And so what I ended up doing is I installed a temperature sensor in the attic and a temperature sensor down at, you know, chest level. And anytime there's a Delta greater than five degrees. So if it's, 65 down at chest level and it's 70 75 up there it turns the fan on blows that hot air down and then shuts off and that's then, so cool. that's kind of that's an automated thing that's completely autonomous too that and yeah. uh, uh plugging in equipment so we have like uh you know we have an old 4430 and a skid steer that stays in a lean-to outside it's so it's not in the heated part of the shop mm-hmm. and um, in the winter is keeping that stuff plugged in instead of leaving it plugged in all night and all day, um, it just turns on at about four in the morning, starts heating the equipment and then shuts off by nine. Uh, so it's probably started to use. Yeah. And I mean, that right there, that probably saves, I guess, but it, I'm willing to bet that that's probably four or $500 a year. That m- may not seem like a lot, but it was also a $2 device that's doing that. So. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Return, return on investments. Pretty, yeah. pretty good. Yeah. I, I think all of us, all farms and ranches, I mean, we could probably find savings like that if we just knew about it. I think that's, yeah. that's one of the biggest, biggest hurdles, uh, you know, is this IOT world is just knowing, knowing what's out there. Yeah, it is. That's how I find most of it too, is, you know, I'll be out there working and I'm like, man, I do this all the time. Like, I know I can automate this and so sure. I'll do some research and find the equipment that I need and do it. 
That's um, awesome. That's what that, the automatic waters and the stock tanks were the biggest yeah. time wasters, it seemed like. I mean, you're driving to all those different sites. Now, you're driving to these sites anyway to check on your animals, but depending on like, so our stock tank, like it might have been a good, far, decent ways away. Um, and whenever mm-hmm. we go in and feed or whatever, like it may not be near that stock tank. So just saving you that 20 extra minutes per trip like when you add that up over time and all the different trips you might have to make in a day you know that's it's it's several hours a month saved absolutely if not more. The extra miles on the on the vehicles yeah. i mean just there's a monetary value to that a yeah. lot um so we got to talk about the one thing that i want to now guys i haven't even began and we're going to put a link down below um but will tell us about the uh turbine lawnmower you have yeah so uh alongside of playing with technology i play a lot with mechanical stuff too so i'll kind of start this from the beginning unfortunately there's no like full scale tractor pulling events here in oklahoma mm-hmm. but there's a lot of quarter scale and and lawn and garden type tractor stuff it's cheaper so it's actually probably better for me and honestly <laughs> that doesn't exist here but I've been involved in a quarter scale tractor pulling stuff for several years now. And I've, I just can't get involved in like the competition part of it. Mm-hmm. I like it. I love it, but I find it more of an engineering challenge to me than, than going out there and build, building the exact same thing to the specs that everybody else has. Like that's sure. not fun to me. I want to build something sure. unique and that the, that the crowd likes like i want i want it to be a crowd exhibitionist pleaser, so. right here exactly uh, almost all of my i have one tractor that's not that's a uh, by the rule book the rest of them are all exhibitionists so i've had electric i've had uh this turbine um i've got some little diesel ones that i'm working on i've got some uh, another electric one that i'm tinkering with um so I was like, man, it'd be awesome. I've seen some YouTube videos of this other guy that has this little turbine on one. And I got on eBay and started looking around and like jet engines aren't cheap. So I know. Uh, unfortunately, they're expensive. <laughs> but I was, eh, she's going to kill me. But we were at the hospital. Uh, so my wife was giving birth. Um, and I'm like, I know I'm not going to be able to spend money for a while. So, so like I better just hurry up and buy this turbine now. So I'm on eBay. I'm, I specifically remember it um, too. I'm I'm in the elevator going back up to the room, and I'm on eBay, and I'm like, "You're tapping the buy there's, now." <laughs> there's well, there it was a bid too, and there was ten minutes left. I'm like, so I stayed in the elevator. Like, like I just rode in the elevator with other people for for no reason, waiting on this clock to time down. <laughs> and I bought this turbine. This it's an APU out of a kc-135 strato tanker so it's like a big air force refueler plane oh, and the apu is a it's a little turbine that sits in the tail and provides heat and hydraulics and electric to the rest of the plane uh-huh. and this thing was it was in great shape and it it doesn't look like a jet engine when you look at it i mean mm-hmm. a turbine engine at all uh it's just this big box with a bunch of pipes coming out of it and by the time uh so i got a bot and I had my cousin go pick it up. It was in Ohio. And he took it home to Indiana. And my dad made a trip up there. And I was like, hey, my cousin has this thing. Can you go pick it up? And it's this giant turbine engine in the back of his truck. So he pulls it home. 
I get at home, I start, I first thing I'm trying to figure out is how do I start to sing? Like, I don't even, I don't know that much about turbines, you know, it's my first time playing with one. So the manual is from like 1968 or something like that. So this thing's, I mean, it's an old, it's an old engine. And I found out they took it out um, because these things are prone to like blowing up. Oh so my God. they cut its air certification and they built a new engine and retrofitted all these existing planes today with a, this new engine. Uh, so I, I take this thing out, I take it apart. I'm stripping all the stuff off of it that it doesn't need. I mean, there's the whole thing probably weighs 500 pounds, mm-hmm. but the engine itself only weighs 80 pounds. So I'm getting oh, wow. rid of this other 420 pounds worth of junk. So I'm stripping all this stuff off and I'm trying like, so I start it and I run it. I get it started, I get it running, and then I'm like, okay, well, this and this and this isn't needed. That's for aircraft support or something. So I'll rip it off. I'll start it, make sure this thing still runs. Still runs. I'll take more stuff off. Start <laughs> it, see if it still runs. It still runs. I'll take more stuff off. And I get down to the bearings and I'm like, all right, here's all I need. Now, this was before computers really was a thing. There's this probably 150-pound big electronics cabinet that's basically the equivalent of an ECU today that probably weighs three pounds and it's the size of a cell phone in a car. This thing is massive. It's, you know, two foot tall, probably three feet wide, and it's got gauges and switches in it. And inside of it, it's got just full of relays and contactors and transformers and equipment that is in charge of making this engine run. I'm like, I can't, I can't fit all that on this tractor. So I start looking for ways to like, get rid of all that. So I was able to get rid of all that stuff and condense it to a little microcontroller. That's, I don't even know how to explain how big it is. It's a, uh, it's about the size of a ketchup packet. This uh-huh. microcontroller is, and that replaced this, you know, 200 pound, whatever it was computer that basically computer is just a bunch of relays and wires sure. that was running this thing. So I've got this condensed down to a, like a ketchup packet now and I get this thing started off of that and I'm running it. And so I, I still at this point did not know what I was going to do with it yet. I just bought it, you know, on a whim. Yeah. And, uh, so I went and picked up this old cub cadet tractor and this stuff sat in the back of the barn for a while. I've been thinking about it. I didn't know exactly how to do it. You know, this, the, the power comes out of a shaft. So it's not like a, a regular jet engine, like you'd see on a plane, whenever you go, flying a plane, you know, it's thrust, it's air coming out the back of the engine. This has a shaft. Um, so it's an auxiliary power unit that typically ran a generator. And so this generator shaft comes out the side of the engine, but I need it to be perpendicular to that to go into the, the transmission. Mm-hmm. So the only other option was like turn the entire engine sideways in this tractor. And this, now the exhaust is coming out the side of the tractor and not the front. So it's going to look really goofy and it's going to be really wide instead of long. <laughs> so I've messed around. I've, I'm literally like, I'm like, okay, I need a right angle gearbox. It needs to be able to support the 60 horsepower, whatever this engine's rated for. Uh, so I'm trying to figure out how to turn this power 90 degrees. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I'm over there looking underneath our lawnmower trying to see like, okay, well, there's a gearbox right here. This would do it probably. So looking at model numbers on it i'm calling the manufacturer of this gearbox i'm like hey i i need a gearbox um, they're like okay well what piece of equipment is there i'm like well it doesn't exist i just need a gearbox that has a one inch input one inch output 
I'll machine whatever hubs I need for it. Don't even worry about that. The problem is it needs to support between six to 9,000 RPMs. And they're like, well, this gearbox only supports 1,500 RPMs. Do you have anything that does? No. Well, do you think it will? And he's like, well, let me talk to my engineer. And his engineer comes back. He's like, we think it will, just not for very long. And I was like, all right, that's all I need to know. So just give us I a buy chance. This, <laughs> I buy this. I'm like, right, we'll see what happens. So I buy this gearbox and we put it on. Now I'm at the problem of uh, like, you know, how do you stop and start this? Like you can start the engine, but there's like, I don't have a clutch like a regular engine would have. So I looked at a lot of different uh, PTO clutches and different types of clutches and ways that I could control this power. I couldn't do it. So I ended up getting a, basically just a big belt, big rubber belt. Um, I was, I did not expect this to work and it actually worked mm. really well. And so I'm sticking with this now probably. So anyway, it's a belt drive to a gearbox, which is going into another gearbox, which goes into the transmission. So I finally got this thing sorted out. I, I put it all together. I got COVID I was off work for two weeks. And I spent my entire two weeks with COVID in the shop building this tractor. And I'd knocked the whole thing out in two weeks and took it to a pool the next weekend. And it actually did pretty good. So, it, and now yeah, I'm well, watching, slowly, slowly advancing some things on it. Watching you actually drive it on, I, I guess it was, you probably had a, a GoPro, I'm guessing, or something. Yeah. It, it, I watched it from like a spectator's view. And then I watched it from like your helmet view. And I, I, it made me nervous just, just watching it. I'm like, how did Will test this thing out, feel confident with, with it screaming and making noise like it was that it wasn't going to blow up. <laughs> I wasn't confident. Um, I was so unconfident that I built this big metal shield to go over it. Cause I was afraid it was going to blow up. <laughs> and I was really nervous taking it there in the first place. Cause that was one of the biggest tractor pools that was in uh, Carthage, Missouri. Uh, there's two big rows of bleachers that go right down the side of the track and they're packed, like packed sure. to their brim of people. And you know, I'm like, oh, this is not going to be good, but it That's didn't come crazy. apart. So, and it, I've, I bet I've pulled it. Oh, it's probably had 20 or 25 hooks to the sled. And the only thing I break is the rear axles at this point. So I just keep twisting axles off with it. That's crazy. Well, we're, we're getting close to time. With our listeners, what kind of you know advice would you give them if they're interested in these uh, applying these things into ag, or uh, what kind of message would you have for our farmers and ranchers? So, <clears throat> I think the biggest thing, and I, I mentioned this earlier, the biggest eye opener is going to these farm shows. Um, the the national farm show is the one to go to. It's the biggest one centrally located that it's easy to go to. There's a lot of great technology there. There's things I find there. I will I will still find things there. I'm going to go in February, and I, I guarantee you I'll find things there that I didn't know existed, and it's a, there's great ideas out there, great products. Mm -hmm. And and I, I find things that I wish I would have thought of, and they're, I mean, there's all kinds of great stuff out there and there's a lot of nice people to talk to. I mean, there's a lot of great people to meet. I've met several people. I bet I've met four or five people that I still talk to today that I've just ran into out there and, and we help each other back and forth on different things. I mean, it's a great community that's 
I think there's something like a a half million something people that go through that show. Um, sure. But it's it's great. That's awesome. I I, I want to thank you for spending an hour of your time with us uh, today and and uh, shedding some light on you know a new area that that many I think a lot of us probably don't even know exists and yeah. but yet it's impacting us daily. Um, so I just want to thank you for, for taking that time. Uh, that's it for today's Your Ag Empire podcast. You can find us across social media at Your Ag Empire. If you feel so inclined, give us a review wherever you're streaming or visit youragempire.com to visit our show notes and be good or be good at it. <laughs>